Welcome to Catch the Fire London's podcast. We pray that you will be radically transformed as you listen to this message. Happy Father's Day, fathers. We appreciate you. We honor you. we honor who you are and what you do. Thank you. We just want to appreciate. <laughs> Steve and Dan for all the great work they do. Want to appreciate them for for caring for us, for teaching, for leading us, leading us well. We just want to appreciate them. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. We love you so much. We love you so so much. I just want to say thank you, everybody. Um, it is. It's an honor to be able to represent the father to his children. And it's something that I know that, speaking for Stu and myself, we don't take lightly. And so, thank you. I've never had flowers before. And so, this is nice. It's a nice thing. It's a loving thing. It's a wonderful thing. But thank you. And um, we love all, all of you very, very much. And are very appreciative of you all as well. Come on, I'm just going to pretend that this is hay fever going on right now. <laughs> the one benefit. <laughs> oh, oh, fab. Um, mm, can I? No, I'm going to pretend that this is my height and I can see. Oh, Hannah knows how. I can tell I'm not in the worship team. <laughs> oh, that I'm very technical. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> That's perfect. Come on. So as we said, today is Father's Day. And we're going to um, be talking on running into the Father's embrace. We want to spend time talking about our Heavenly Father because He, oh, He is so good. And we sing about it, we read about it, and we want to we wanna delve into that today. And we want to give God the glory of His title of Father today. And so, yeah, I'm going to just jump into it with this little monkey here as well. So, um, gosh... When Isla was nine months old, she went through a phase of not sleeping very well, which we all know can be quite exhausting uh, on, on parents. And I know there are some young parents uh, or parents with young ones in the room and can totally identify at the moment. And this one night, um, she woke up and she was just beside herself and she was crying and screaming. And so I was... I was and patting her and, and, and shushing her. And I was, um, you know, I even got to the point where um, I was getting out my phone and showing her photos of herself and videos of herself because she loved that. And she still does. Like, she, 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 she's like, oh, look at me. Oh, I'm so great. Um, and, you know, she's very self-confident. Oh, hello. Oh, well, yeah, she's very self-confident. Um, and so, you know, that would usually get her out of it. She would laugh, but nothing was working. And this was at like crazy o'clock in the morning, like two in the morning. And it got to the point and I was like, what am I going to do? And I felt the father say, pick her up. And so I picked her up and I held her to my chest. She was lying down and I shushed her and I rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the father said, as you do this... We say enough is enough. You're crying, you're distressed, and 
when she was that young, she doesn't have the ability to come to me. So I'm going to go to her. I'm going to be the one who steps forward into that gap and draws her to me and where she can lie upon me and she can feel my breath. She can hear my heartbeat and she can be regulated by my presence because that's what happens in the moment when you draw them to you. Your calmness and your, your presentation regulates their one and it helps them to calm down. And as I continued, her body began to relax and her body began to slowly let go of all that tension, all that crying, all that cortisol that gets built up in the body when we're, when we're upset and we're worried and we're crying or when um, you know negative things happen, when cortisol is um, something that builds up in the body and it just slowly you could see her just relax and it ebb out of her. And in that moment, I felt the father say, this is where we take over. This is where the father steps up, steps in and takes over. That she would know in these moments that she doesn't have to do it alone. That where there is distress, where there is, um, where there is sadness, where there is fear, where there is worry, in all of these moments that she will learn, I don't ever have to do this alone. I don't have to try and be independent. I don't have to work it out and do it in my own strength because the Lord says not to do anything within our own strength, but to rely upon him and draw close to him. And so as she melted away into my arms, the father took me to Psalm 23, verse 2. This is, you know, we most of us, you know, one of the first psalms we ever learned, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leaves me beside still waters. So here, the Lord says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't suggest it. He doesn't give it as an option. Here you go, give it a try, run along. He makes you lie down in green pastures. And what the Lord was saying to me is that there are moments where he takes control over the situation because he knows better than you. Because he is your father. And he says, enough, I'm not going to let you strive. I'm not going to let you cry. I'm not going to let you do this by yourself. You've been trying by yourself and it's not been working. And so I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to come in and support you and help you and love you and nurture you so that all this stuff can go away and you can be at peace. You can be restored. It says, he restores my soul and leads me into the path of righteousness. So in this place where he swoops in and he makes the decision and he, he, gives us a place to lie down in the green pastures, but he enables us to do it so that it is for our own benefit of restoration of our soul. And so, <laughs> and so I believe that when we're not in the habit of running to the Father, that he's going to do it for us. You know, we see it in Luke as well, isn't it? In Luke 14, the prodigal son, where the Father runs to the son. When we're not in the habit of running to the Father, he will run to us. Because what is more important is the relationship and the connection and us being dependent upon the Father and doing the journey with the Father. And so um, he will force us to rest for our own good. It says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, 
It says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? So if as an earthly parent, I was, un- I was able to know what Isla was wanting and be able to step into that place to love and to cherish her and to help her and regulate her and, and, and bring her back into that place where we're doing it together to help her and allow her to be restored, how much more will your heavenly Father do that for you? And so if you're not in the habit of running to him, allow him to run to you. Allow him to swoop you off your feet. Allow him to take the lead that he will show you and he will father you and he will love you and he will restore you for his name's sake, it says. So in that place, when I held Isla and that worry and that fear and that cortisol left her body what happened in the natural was that neural pathways were being formed and as I spoke last week belief systems were being formed and so what she was learning in that place of her distress was I can rely on my mum my mum will help me my you know I'm not in this alone I'm loved there is support I'm I'm cherished I don't have to live in this place of fear but there is someone who can help and that is just like our heavenly father when we run to him and all he runs to us what we begin to learn is the basis of the the talk um the talks that we listen to the the scriptures that we read and the songs that we sing where it says you know you are faithful God you have never failed me like you are loyal God and you are always there when we begin to run to him and him to us what we learn and we is that he that is really who he says he is and we build up those neural pathways and so the more we do it the more confident we become in who he says he is and that he is able to be there for us and restore us and look after us And so when we're in the Father's embrace, when we're in his arms and when he's holding us and he's he's shushing us and he's rocking us and he's he's telling us it's going to be okay, there are two things that can happen here. One is that we leave the Father's embrace. So this can happen for various reasons, but sometimes, you know, we're like, okay, I feel a little, better, a little bit better now. Thank you very much. That was enough. I'm going to go. And it's because of maybe the experiences that we've had is that we don't want to lean too much in because that might be too painful. It might feel too much for us to be able to fully surrender and fully let go and fully give ourselves to our Father who really does just want to look after us and love us. And so in that moment, we leave prematurely we leave the father's embrace and we go back into this place of independence or what can happen is that the father releases us and this happens when the father goes you're ready I've given you everything, I've poured in, I've, I've loved you, I've restored the bits that need to be restored, I've, I've, I've poured in my love and my, my revelation, my wisdom, my affection, you know, that, that place where he's just that constant outpouring of heaven and the Father heart over us. And in that place he goes, it's okay now. Like you can, you can, you can go. I'm still here. I'm still going to be beside you. But it's okay. You go. And when when things happen, 
We're right here beside each other again. You run to me, I'll run to you. And this is called scaffolding in the natural. It's a psychological principle where parents will, will draw alongside and around the child like a scaffold, like a scaffold around the building. And what it enables the child to do, it enables the child to explore and to go and develop and to go and try new things, but knowing I can always come back. I always am able to come back because it's safe and there's structure and there's someone here to help me. And so we need to be getting into the habit of running back to the Father, being released from the Father, not leaving his arms, but being released from his arms in his timing and his grace so that we can go and explore and do things that he says us to do, but always knowing that we can come back. Jesus was very intentional about his time with his heavenly father. I'm good. I'm just checking. <laughs> In John 1, 1, we really begin to see, and just, just as part of one demonstration about where um, Jesus is intentional with going to the Father by taking time to, to step away from the crowds, to step away from the things that he is doing, to step away from ministry and go and be with his Father so that he can receive from his Father, that he can be restored, that he can be healed, that he can connect, that he's got that real intentional one-to-one time with him. And in that place, Jesus demonstrates that spending time with the Father is not a discipline or a hardship, but it is a place of relational um, delight. And he delighted in his Father. And what we see is that when we don't know the Father, when we've not been in that place, um, of running to him and him to us and spending that time in his arms, we don't know the delight of the Father over us. And Jesus did because he took time to do that and to be in that embrace. And if we don't have that, it's a hardship and it's a discipline and we have to teach and train ourselves to go back to the Father and to spend time there. But the more time we prioritise in that place, but not necessarily time, the more connection that we have in that place, then the more we understand that it is actually just a delight to spend with him and he delights to spend time with us. Eric Gilmore says, men think how much time God thinks connection. When we realise we are a delight, he becomes a delight to us and we become so encapsulated with him that spending time with him is no longer a discipline. And so we need to understand it's not necessarily about the length of time because we all know we can spend a lot of time with someone and actually not feel connected. It's about those connection points, those moments of depth. And so I just want to encourage you as I hand over to Dan that spend time with the Father. But don't worry if it's not a lot of time. He's not looking for 24 hours a day of of just being with him but not talking to him. He's looking for those connection points. He's looking for the depth of relationship and connection where, where you can delight in him and he can delight in you. All right. Thank you, Ashley. I'm just going to move this here. 
praying for the Hannah. So what's the answer to the question? <laughs> Father's Day. <laughs> Sorry, I just love that video too much. Um, I just want to kind of jump onto the next bit of the journey, really. So you've got the, the Father makes you lie down. And, and we enter into his embrace. But it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I was, as I've been praying and thinking about this, the Lord actually took me to the temptation of Jesus. And so let's just open our Bibles and go to Luke 3, verse 21. I'm reading from the New King James, if that helps you, Tanya, with your Bible verses. But um, when, it, when all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptised. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And so we find here an encounter of the Father speaking ultimate identity into the Son. And, and with that comes the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, this is the context for Jesus. And if we jump forward to um, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, then, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, you know what I'm like. I like to find out the definition of words. And it's interesting, the word wilderness here, if you look up in the Strong's Concordance, has a number of meanings to it. One of them is a, um, a secluded place, a, a place to go into being alone. Another word for it actually can mean a place that is ready to be cultivated, which is fascinating in itself. And so I want you to think of this for a second. The Father releases identity over Jesus, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit leads him, or you could say in parallel to what Ashley was saying, makes him go into a place ready for cultivation. And so Jesus is led to lie down by still waters. He's taken into a place of the wilderness. And I want to encourage you. I know we talk about um, things like, oh, I'm going through a desert place in life and I'm really struggling right now. And we kind of try to define the desert on a humanity mindset of what a desert is, which is a place devoid of life. Whereas God, through Jesus, demonstrates that the wilderness is a place full of him. Because in the scriptures, you look, the Israelites were led into the desert. For 40 years, God sustained them. Jesus was led into the wilderness. God met him there for 40 days. And that's an incredible parallel in itself anyway. And I think probably maybe we need to see some reading into that, Timmy. But you think about in the Bible, the wilderness is not a scary place. It talks often about Jesus withdrawing to spend time with the Father in a secluded place, a wilderness place, a place ready for cultivation. And so what happens is when the Father brings identity, he brings us into, our, is in, in, into his embrace. In that place, we find an opportunity for cultivation. We are drawn into him and we need to have a daily expression of that. Like Ashley said, sometimes the Father will release his grip on you. Not to hurt you, not to push you out of the nest and say, get away from me, but to say you're ready. But also part of the readiness, I believe, is that we know that he's right there with his embrace ready for us. And we'll get on to the prodigal son in a second. But then we look at this journey with Satan tempting Jesus. And I feel like Satan kind of is a bit of an idiot sometimes. Because he turns up at this moment of ultimate identity being released into Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has just spent 40 days in the atmosphere of God. 
of his father being filled up and filled up and filled up. It is like Jesus' solution to all of his problems is always to withdraw into that desolate place with the father. And this is the longest time on record that Jesus does that. And so can you imagine the place Jesus is in in this place? It doesn't say Jesus is starving. It doesn't say that he's drawn out. It doesn't say that he's tired. The devil turns up and tries to tempt him, which I think is just the most stupid game plan the devil has ever had because he's coming to Jesus at his best. And he's like, I'm going to come and tempt you. And three, three temptations happen. The first one is him saying, if you are the son of God, command this stone to come to become bread. But Jesus asked him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, the father, it says in Psalms, his thoughts towards you outnumbered the grains of sand. Now, I, f- I take it very seriously as a father that my role is to talk a lot because that's being like the father, he talks a lot. And so I am being very godly in my fact that I talk all the time and that I share my opinion all the time. No, I'm joking. But it's, it's part of the father's identity over us. He speaks over us constantly. And who and how he speaks is from his heart. He can't change who he is in his tone. And so if he is love, then his tone is love. If he is life, then his tone is life. If he is truth, then his tone is truth. Now, sometimes we don't like truth, but the devil will try to make you think that truth is condemnation, but there's a very big difference between conviction and condemnation. Caleb has reached that beautiful age where he's suddenly very aware of when he feels told off and his big bottom lip comes out. And he looks down and you're like, Caleb, say sorry. No. Caleb, say sorry. Don't want to. And he's very aware of that, but it's very easy. Like he's perceiving condemnation rather than conviction. And my role as his father in those moments where he perceives the wrong thing isn't to be like, yeah, you know what? You're getting what you think you're getting right now. And be like, you know, becoming a father like what James has described, where I choose to partner with the atmosphere around him. No, my job is to call him higher. And to say, Caleb, I'm not telling you off right now. I'm coming to your level. He may be two years old, but he understands something. He understands there's a balance at play in his life between conviction and condemnation. And if he feels broken in that moment, I'm not doing my job as a father. But if I say to him, Caleb, you're better than this. You're a kind boy. You're a boy full of love. You're a boy full of life. When you slapped Isla for taking your bike from you, that wasn't a good choice, was it? What do you want to do about it? And he goes, sorry, Isla. And then he goes and checks on her and he gives her a hug. And it's the, he, he has called through conviction into an atmosphere of understanding actually he, who he is hasn't changed in that moment, but he has a choice to do something about the choices he made. And if a two-year-old can do it, flip me, can we do it in our, in our wise adult positions in life where we think, oh, blah, blah, blah. like, no, get over yourself. Stop being so restricted about things in life and actually just choose to walk in his love. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. And I think here is a calling that actually when we live in the Father's love, when we come out of that place of intimacy with him, when we come out of that place of him saying, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased and we're full of the Holy Spirit, our response to the devil isn't to say, yeah, you know, I'm hungry, give me some food and feed ourselves at his hand in the worldly sense, but is to understand that actually we do not live on bread alone, but we live on the bread of heaven. We live on the words of God. We live on the affirmation of the Father. We live in the truth of who he says we are. And so when we're like, I'm starving, I'll eat of anything, we actually enter into an engagement with him and say, no, I'm going to eat of the purest of loves, which is the Father's love from heaven. And then we jump on a bit. It says, And he says, oh, look at all of this. I have all this authority I'll give you and their glory. And this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. 
And he's talking about the world. And he's saying to Jesus, you know, if you just simply worship me, I'll give you all the things you desire in the world. I'll give you everything of this earth. And, and we have that daily. Do you want to enter into an engagement with the things of the world? Do you want to, and it's like we were saying earlier, like even like Gary talking about his journey of getting his finances right with God. It's like, do you want to enter into the things of this world? Do you want to enter into bitterness? Do you want to enter into fear? Do you want to enter into struggle and poverty and all the things that are on offer in addition to these things? Or do you want to enter into wholeness in God where he provides all things? And Jesus' response says, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. We serve the Father because the Father first loved us, and it's a really easy motivation to follow one who loves you. And then it says that he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The devil will use scripture to disown you from your identity in the Father. He will place you, you know, if you put yourself in a position of authority over your life above the Father, which is what the devil is offering to Jesus in this moment, you're disowning yourself from the authority of the Father. And it says, you shall not tempt God. You know, when the devil's tempting you, he's not just tempting you, but you are one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So his temptation is coming against you and your identity as a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you exist in the realm of God. And so therefore, when it says you shall not tempt God, he's tempting not just you, but your choices that will affect the God in you. We need to choose to reject temptation from our lives. What does that look like? Changes how we behave. Changes how we act. Let's jump to Luke 15 very quickly. Luke 15 verse 11 says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. Now here, we've all heard this. If you've been in Catch Far more than 10 minutes, you'll have heard this story like a million times. So I'm going to do it really fast. But basically, here we have a father who doesn't say to his son, I'm going to condemn you, because his son turns around and says, give me the inheritance. What does that mean? Your death is worth more to me than you alive. Sometimes we approach our Christian faith and journey with God being like, God, I want the stuff, not you. I'm willing to lay aside intimacy for the benefits in my life. And we look at the benefits of our faith as a reason to have faith and not just who he is. I love the fact that worship this morning, we spent so much time just talking about the beauty of who he is. I love the fact that Ashley just called us into a dynamic where we're drawn into him. He makes us lie down by still waters and restores my soul, is what it says in that psalm. We need to be restored away from our offensive behavior and into an embrace of the Father. But the Father loves him. Now what's really cool is you get to the end of the story and you find a father who's got resources still. The start of the story is a father who gives away all of his wealth. He divides it between his two sons. He gets rid of it. He should be destitute from this point forward. The father in his love is not limited. Sometimes we're like, oh, if God loves me this much today, then I've used my portion for the day. I've literally heard it preached. I heard someone preach once that we shouldn't pray for parking spaces because there's starving children in Africa. Like God is limited in his ability to bless. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be decreeing and believing a shift for starving children in Africa. We should be broken by the brokenness in this world. And we should put just as much energy into 
in fact, even more energy into the plight of others than we should do into the convenience of ourselves. But does that mean God won't bless you? No, it's not like he's got this pie with six portions for each of your days. And he goes, okay, Timmy, you know, this morning you were a bit mean to Falake. I'm going to bless you. Here's a portion of your pie. And you get to four o'clock and you've had a bad day and you've used up the pie and then God's just going to be like, yeah, well, you did that to yourself. That's not how he operates. He has got blessings in abundance for you daily in his love for you. He is not a poor father. And it says, not many days after that, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, if you've heard me say this before, you'll understand there's two definitions for the word prodigal. One is negative. It means to be um, extravagantly wasteful. So the father has poured out his wealth upon him, and the son is being extravagantly wasteful with it. How many of us can identify with that? What does that look like? To receive love and to not be love. That's extravagantly wasteful. I feel like I just witness too much these days through just the body of Christ becoming division, divisional and divisive in just tearing down each other. Surely we should celebrate what God is, is doing as him and, and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ rather than tearing them down, rather than being destructive towards them. I don't agree with every Christian on the planet. Agreement is not a prerequisite for relationship. It's not a prerequisite for love. The father doesn't agree with all your choices. Newsflash. The father doesn't agree with your actions. He doesn't agree with your terrible choices. Does that mean he's going to go, no, I don't love you? Or does it mean that he's going to you know, sign up to Facebook and write a post about how terrible a person you are? No, he's not going to do that. Like the Father is above this because he's pouring out love in abundance, in truth and in love. And as we love and pray for each other, then we'll see truth come. Because he is coming in as the higher authority in that moment. And so, are we being extravagantly wasteful or are we being like the Father who's being extravagantly lavish? And then it kind of moves on. All this kind of stuff happens. The son kind of suddenly realizes that he's in a terrible position in his life. He is like being extravagantly wasteful to the point that he has ran out. And he suddenly thinks to himself, I know what I need to do. I need to go and be a slave. And we've all been there. We've all been in those prayer times where we're on our knees and we're like, God, I've sinned against you. I've done one thing. If you will just, you know, bless me, I'll just not do it again. And we, and we bargain with God and we barter with God and we try to cheapen his love towards us by defining the ways it can land upon us. Which I don't think we think in the moment. I think we think that in the moment we are being penitent or we're being repentant, or we're being humble in our approach to him and saying, God, your love is so amazing and I'm so unworthy that I'll just take the scraps from the table. And God's like, what are you doing? I've created you kings and queens in the kingdom. I have said you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I have poured out of you in such an abundance that you're not, only, you're not meant to receive the scraps, you're meant to receive the feast itself. And the son comes back and it says, in the, it says that the father is moved to compassion. And the word compassion there literally means races like the wind. He runs like the wind to his son, lands upon him and kisses him all over. I loved it in Dwell last time we met. Dee walked into the room and within seconds was like flat on his face on the floor. Under the presence of God. He had an encounter with the father racing towards him like the wind and landing upon him and kissing him all over. It was beautiful to see multiple people in the room just getting absolutely mashed by God's presence. Why does that happen? Because he loves us. 
Because he pours out his abundance towards us. All it takes is us turning to him. And that's what Ashley's saying about how we need to be aware of that journey of never releasing ourselves prematurely from his embrace. But when we are released because he loves us and knows we're ready, we know he's right there. You think of that poem, Footprints in the Sand. And there's that moment where the person looks back at the footprints and realises there's moments where there's only one set of footprints in the sand. And in their humanity, they say, God, where did you go? Where were you in those moments? I know that I was struggling that time. Where were you? And God's like, don't you understand? That's not your footprints, they're mine. Because I lifted you up in those moments. I carried you when you were struggling. I carried you when you were in that journey. I was there for you in a way you can never fully understand. That's how the Father loves us. And he races towards us. And he elevates us. And I want to focus on the two last things here. The first one is, it says, fetch the fatted calf and bring it here. And kill it. And we'll have a celebration. And a long time ago, the Lord said to me, he was like, I, I just almost like in my limited understanding, I'd always read that in this mindset of the father meets the son on the road and they walk back to the house together and they have a party. But that's not how it happened. It happened there on the road. It says, bring the fattened calf here and kill it and let's celebrate. Now, the context for this is that everyone in that town would have been, by Hebraic law, obliged to do something in that moment when the son arrived. They would have been obliged to kill him, stone him to death for the dishonour he'd brought upon his father by saying, because it's eye for an eye, right? I want you to die so I can receive it, therefore you deserve to die because of the dishonour that's been brought upon your life. The father, in the atmosphere of his enemies, what's the Psalm 23 that Ashley's preaching from earlier? He makes me lie down by still waters. He, he restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. He creates for me a feast table in the presence of my enemies. The word goodness and mercy will pursue me all my life is better translated as goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life. The father hunts down the son and brings goodness and mercy. He brings the fattened calf and kills it and throws a party in the presence of his enemies. But it doesn't say that in that moment he heaps coals upon the heads of his enemies a feast isn't a feast when it's just one person eating. It's an act of gluttony. When you have a feast table and keep it to yourself, he says he prepares a feast table in the presence of his enemies. What does that look like? I believe it looks like he's having a feast and a celebration with the very ones who meant to punish him. In the Father's love, there's room for everybody. In the Father's love, there's room for the broken. There's room for the unrighteous. There's room for those who would put themselves in a position of authority that isn't theirs to have. And then we look at the older brother who's missing the point. He's missing the party and he comes and goes like, but he did this. He did that. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue all the days of your life. And so this Father's Day, what me and Ashley... I have to try really hard to not say that in a weird Australian accent. This Father's Day. Um, me and Ashley just really felt burdened to call everybody into two encounters. Number one, an encounter with the Father's embrace. In that embrace, it doesn't matter what's being thrown at you. He has got you. And he's covering you. And he will turn his enemies and your enemies into those who would sit at the table and feast in his glory with you. And that's triumph. 
And that's beauty. And when we establish ourselves in that place, the second thing I felt like we need to understand is that the devil is a liar. And he will try and pull you into the position of the older brother. He will try and pull you into the position of saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, this is wrong, didn't you do that, didn't you do that? He will try and tempt you out of your identity into aligning with him and his identity. And I think, as the body of Christ, we need to be drawn into the Father's embrace again and again and again and again. And we need to reject the enemy's temptation again and again and again and again. Because it's too easy for us to put ourselves in a position like the devil is saying, I've got authority over all of the earth. What a load of nonsense. He has been defeated. He has been destroyed. He has no authority. He has no position and no right. And so one is the devil's a liar. Number two is the father's embrace is enough for you. And so we're going to activate something. And it's going to seem a little bit silly, the first bit. Um, so bear with me. But I've had, it's very, really, really random. But ever since West Ham won the European Cup. Now, who's a West Ham fan in here? I'm not putting my hand up. I'm definitely not. Good. Okay, none of you are. That's very good. Well done. But ever since they have, they've gone viral with a chant, which isn't a very nice chant. However, the tune of it is... Um, oh, it's da 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 If you're, any of you are 90s disco kid, you'll get this song, right? And all week, every time I've heard that being chanted by, like, there's some West Ham fans who keep on walking past our flat in Ickenham, keeping on singing it, I'm like, shut up. But every time they sing it, I start hearing lo- these lyrics instead. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil's a liar. Yeah, you got it, Shana. You got it. And, and in my head all week, I've just been having this. Every time there's been a temptation coming, every time there's been nonsense coming, every time the enemy's tried to come at me and be like, Dan, you're not good enough. Dan, you're not a leader. Dan, Father's Day coming. Are you a father? Can you hold the microphone and preach about fathering? Yeah, you're a father in the natural, but did you really earn that right? Or was that? And, and all these kind of lies and temptations come in. And, and then you look around, you're like, oh man, I'm seeing so much brokenness in the world. And I know I'm covered in his wings and in his love. And it's become almost this response in my head that every time it comes, I'm like, the devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. And I'm getting myself really like kind of worked into it. I'm just like, this has become the anthem of my journey. And it gets into the breakdown bit where it goes, na, 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 na. And what I saw, you're loving this, was us just being like, na, 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 na. You're a liar, Satan. And so if there's one thing you take from today, I want you to grab hold of this. There is a charm to be rising up in your heart. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. And then when he has the audacity to try and come at you, like he had the audacity to come at Jesus in the desert after he'd had the most incredible time with the father, he's like, na, 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 na. Yeah? Who wants to sing that song with me? Come on. Some of you do. Come on, why don't we stand up? And then we're going to do the Father's Embrace. But come on, let's do it. Let's do it really loud and really proud. Come on. I was actually going to get the backing track to play it, but I thought, no, I'm, I don't need to go that extreme. But come on. Why don't you do this with me? Let's start off. The devil is a liar. Right? Who's going to believe that? Who's the devil? Oh, come on. Who's the devil? Come on, that's better. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil's a liar. Na 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 
Na, 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 na. Come on, you can smile in church a little bit because this is powerful. Na, 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 na. Are you ready? Let's do it again. The devil is a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil is a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil is a liar. The father tells me who I am. The devil is a liar. The father tells me who I am. Right, some of you aren't believing that. Come on. Some of you need to believe that. You may not care about 90s disco. I don't, to be honest with you. I'm uninterested in it, but it's a catchy tune. It'll stick in your head. Because when someone comes up to you and says, who are you? You'll be like, the father tells me who I am. And when their lies come out, you'll be like, no, no, no. The devil's a liar. It's not my truth. It's not my existence. It's not who I am. And so you need to catch that. So it seems silly, but you need to remember this today. And some of you are going to be walking home this afternoon just singing that in your head. It has been annoyingly stuck in my head all week. But it's truth, because you need to believe it. The devil is a liar. The Father tells you who you are. Father's Day isn't just about celebrating fathers in an earthly sense, but it's celebrating the Father who tells you who you are. Amen? Amen. Come on. So we're going to do some ministry now. We're going to go a little bit back into serious again out of being silly. But silliness is important. What we're going to do, we're going to do two things. Number one is there's some of you who need to run into the Father's embrace today. You haven't ever experienced the embrace of him, the embrace of his love. And so Molly, I'm going to ask if you can get the ministry team to come and stand at the front, as we have been doing. Yeah, Josh will go for it to play some keys. That'd be amazing. Um, And ministry team, I'm going to ask you guys to represent the Father. Now, the ministry team, I'm going to ask Timmy and Falaka if you can be part of this as well, and Alex and Ben if you're happy to be part of this as well. you may hug a male, you may f- hug a female. I'm going to ask if you're male, go to a male, female to a female, because we have important rules about safeguarding, keeping things safe, and it's important. But in the same way that Ashley, as a female, was able to embrace Isla on behalf of the father, these amazing, amazing ones at the front are able to release and embrace on behalf of the father today. And so these guys are going to be the arms of the father. And so your only job, guys, as ministry team, is to not do the hug and roll, is not to do the three taps on the back, hug, that's it. I know it's hot and sweaty today, but it's to embrace until the Father tells you to stop. Is that all right? And so your job is to listen to the Father. Your job is if you're someone coming forward, be willing to let God meet you through this. That's it. And so if you need to enter into his embrace today, into his love today, then come and receive it. Some of you are already walking on a journey where actually for you, experiencing the Father's embrace is a daily reality. That, that statement of, I know who the Father says I am, is just who you are. And that's awesome. Actually, you may not need to come forward into the embrace, but you still need an embrace today. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're not coming forward, to find somebody else in the room and embrace them. If you're like husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, that's okay, I'll allow you to hug each other. But if not, females find a female, males find a male. And, and give each other an embrace today. And don't just do it as like a, hi, how are you? Three taps on the back, done. But allow yourself to just be a touch point of the Father to somebody else today. So some of you just need a little top up, need a little reminder, need a little draw in. Some of you need to enter in to an embrace like you've never known before. And whatever happens, just if it's snotty and sweaty and messy, that's okay. Because you know, the son, when the father landed upon him on that road, was covered in pig poo. He was wearing rags. He stank to high heaven. He was a mess. And the father says he kissed him all over. The father's not afraid of your mess. He's afraid of you staying in it. 
That's why He put the robe upon Him, the ring upon Him, the shoes upon Him. He's afraid of you staying in your mess. So do not leave today in a mess. Leave today with that child in your, in your heart. The devil's a liar. The father tells me who I am. That's going to stick in your head. But embrace him today. And so I'm going to pray. If you're online, find someone to embrace you today. But also if you don't have anyone with you, then that's okay because the father is the point in all this. And so you don't need someone's physical arms to be the hug for you today. But the father will run to you. He will embrace you and he will set you free. And I'm speaking to the wrong camera. So I'll also say that to that one as well. Um, But to those of you online, bless you. But Father, I thank you that you are the ultimate Father, that you refuse to leave us in our mess, that you are gracious, beyond gracious, beyond gracious, that you are not interested in our bad choices, but you're interested in your choice, which is choosing us every single time. And I ask that today, this Father's Day, that you would change us to a greater picture of your children, that every time the enemy comes at us, we reject him quickly because we know who you say we are. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Those of you online, bless you. We'll see you at Dwell tomorrow. Everybody else, hug a person, hug a person, experience the Father's embrace. Bless you all.